Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, to all the mothers here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online, as well as those attending one of our regional campuses, we just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day, including adoptive mothers, foster and stepmothers, and (laughs) mother-in-laws. Yes, you too. You know, um... Speaking of mothers-in-laws, I I, I love the story of the big game hunter uh, who went on a safari with his wife and mother-in-law. One evening, while still deep in the jungle, the hunter's wife suddenly realized that her mother was gone. And so she rushed over to her husband and insisted both of them try to find her. Well, he sighed. He slowly put on his shoes, grabbed hold of his rifle, and they headed off to look for her. A short while later, they came across a a very chilling sight. The mother-in-law is backed up against this thick bush, and a large lion is facing her. The wife whispers to her husband, says, well, what are you going to do? And the husband replies, not a thing. The lion got himself into this. He can get himself out of it. We love you, mother-in-laws. We really do. (laughs) Seriously, make sure you take the time, not just to tell mom that you love her, but I'm going to encourage you this year to honor her by writing her a personal handwritten note in which you list all the reasons that you're so grateful to God for her being your mom. Few things will bless her more. Uh, Now, in our services this weekend, in addition to honoring mothers, Uh, We want to celebrate all women, whether married or unmarried, uh, at whatever stage of life that you're at, and whatever pathway you have chosen to give your life to. Uh, Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, or using the gifts and abilities that God has given you in your chosen career, we just want you to know that you are highly valued by our church. And even more importantly, you are cherished and highly valued by God. As a woman, you are created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 indicates that even though men and women are physically different and reflect uh, God's nature in a very unique way, uh, both men and women are made in the image of God. Our identity is deeply grounded in the fact that we, both men and women, are created by God, that we're deeply loved by Him, And if you've embraced him by faith as your Lord and your Savior, then women, you are his daughters. And men, you are his sons. Now, today we're going to look at two women in the Old Testament that God used to accomplish his kingdom purposes. However, rather than take you into the lives of these women, I decided it would not only be honoring to women, but also much more impactful to have a woman who's also a wife, mother, and author talk to us all, but particularly to women today, 
about embracing the mission that God has called us to, as seen in the life of Deborah and Jael in the book of Judges. And so I've asked Rosemary Flayton to do this, but before she comes, I want to just briefly introduce her to you. Rosemary and her husband, Norley, have been part of our church for 32 years. And over those years, they have been incredibly faithful and supportive members of our church. They really bless pastors like me with that, just their faithfulness, their engagement in the life of the church. And they have served in various ministries, uh, including children's ministry and youth. They, they tracked in those ministries as their kids were going through those ministries and served in those ministries. They served on the Board of Governors and, and a number of other areas. Rosemary is author of two books. She's adjunct professor at three local colleges. She does teaching, training, and leading teams to our partner churches in Mexico and Cuba uh, as part of our global ministry training team. And she's passionate about our vision as a church of making disciples who together in community are committed to accomplishing God's redemptive purposes in the world. And she particularly has a heart for women and to see them become all that God wants them to be. And so would you just join me in giving a big welcome to Rosemary as she comes. Thank you. Good morning and happy Mother's Day. It's a privilege to be here today. You know, one of my most poignant memories of my mom was as a little girl, I would come out and she'd be sitting at the table at the kitchen. She'd have her Bible open and she'd be reading and she'd be praying. Her favorite book was Isaiah. And I was thrilled when I, after she passed away and I got her Bible and to be able to read all the notes around her Bible. She modeled the love of God's word in my life. And it's something that I caught and I love God's word. And so today we have the privilege, the honor to be able to read a passage of scripture that talks about um, two women, as, as Pastor Henry said, what a privilege to be in God's, word, God's house and to read his word. Let's stand together and read this passage, this whole chapter in the life of the history of Israel. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud the prophet was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Because Sisera, the commander of the army, had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Surely, I will go with you, said Deborah, but because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will del deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak. When they told Sisera that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned all his men in his 900 chariots fitted with iron to the Kishon River. 
Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army, and all of Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, she told him. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came out in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word, even when it's tough truth. We thank you that every word in this book was inspired by you. Lord, we thank you for this story. And Lord, I ask that you would show us what you want for us from this story. Lord, I ask that your spirit would move powerly, powerfully in this place, that our hearts and our minds would be open to the gentle whispers the gentle prods of your spirit and that we would have a keen and a fresh sense of what it means to be daughters and, king, and sons of the king. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, were as in shambles. For 20 years, they had lived under the cruel oppression of King Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. And then we find the story of Deborah. She's a prophetess, a wife, a leader, a judge of the people. From my research, from what I could find, this is the first account of a woman who has a role of leadership outside her home in Scripture. So let's take a look at Deborah. Let's see what it is about her and how she lives that will impact um, us. What was God's mission for Deborah? Well, first of all, Deborah was a prophetess. Now that means that she knew God. A prophetess or a prophet is someone who has a keen attunement to the Spirit of God. Anytime they speak on behalf of God, it first must come out of an openness and an ability to hear and discern the voice of God and the movement of God in their life. 
Deuteronomy 18 and also 1 John 4.1 tells us to test the spirit, to test and to see what people are saying and whether or not it comes true before we give them the, the title of prophet. So the fact that Deborah was esteemed as a prophetess means that she'd been tested. She indeed was somebody who spoke on behalf of God. Now as we walk through this story, I'm going to encourage you to Reflect on the qualities of Deborah and of Jael and how they apply to your life, how they have applied to my life. In essence, it's like trying on the life of Deborah. So what was it about Deborah, the prophetess, that's reflected in my reality, reflected in your reality? Well, you might say, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophetess. Okay. But are you someone that people would say, that woman or that man, they know God. And they hear God speak, they recognize his voice, and they do what he asks them to do. Are you that kind of person? Each one of us has been given the Holy Spirit as our counselor. We have the Spirit living inside of us. And Ephesians 4 says that to some he gave to be uh, apostles, to some he gave to be prophets, to some he gave to be evangelists, to some he gave to be pastors and teachers. Now there's probably nobody in this room who's as gifted to be an evangelist as Billy Graham is. But we are all called to be prepared to share of the hope that's within us and to tell of the good news, whether it's to our colleagues, our families, our friends, our neighbors. That's being evangelistic. None of us may be great teachers like Pastor Henry, but we're all called to read Scripture, to open and to understand it, and then to share truth. That's teaching. We may not all have real compassionate or passion, pastoral hearts, but we're all called to be compassionate and loving. And likewise, as followers of Christ who has the Holy Spirit living in us, we're called to be attentive to the Spirit. So what is there in Deborah's life as a prophetess that I need to be more like? Well, Deborah was also described as the wife of Lapidoth. Now, we don't know anything more about Lapidoth in Scripture other than he was the husband of Deborah. But I'm wondering if maybe he kind of felt like this. This is what it was like to have the, a wife as a prophet. I will only do what the voices in my wife's head tell her to tell me what to do. To do. Oh, to have a wife who's a prophet. Well, this descriptor of as Deborah as a wife tells me that Deborah had both a job, a career, and a home with a husband and sh that she would care for. Now, Stats Canada tells us that in Calgary, 70% of women with children have some form of employment, either part-time or full-time. So there's, and the, that number actually rises where, for women who do not have children. And so we can relate to Deborah. We can relate to having both a career and a home to take care of. You know, we maybe go to work every morning and we come home and then we got, we have floors to vacuum and dinner to make and laundry to do. Or maybe you work from home and you're having to juggle that call from the client and the spaghetti boiling over at the same time. That's our reality in many, many cases. 
My story is that when I finished university, I started teaching uh, for the Calgary Board of Education. I was in the classroom for six years, and I loved that time. I loved having that career. And then my husband and I had our first baby, and I really had no desire to go back to work, and I thoroughly enjoyed being a stay-at-home mom. As our kids got a little bit older, I ended up going back to school and getting my master's and starting a new career. And as now as we're headed into empty nest years, we're on the cusp of that, I'm excited about the opportunities to see my career expand. Now that was my journey. That was my path. And that path is no more preferable to any other path that you are on. You see, it's simply the path that God took me on. Each of you will have your own path. Embrace it. The important thing is, are you allowing God to work in you and through you wherever you are, whether that's at the workplace or you're at home? Deborah's also described as a judge. She decided on matters of justice for the people. The people of Israel came to her to have their disputes uh, ruled upon. She had honor both in her community and bestowed on her by God. Now, in order to do this, she must have been a woman of wisdom. How do you become a woman of wisdom? Well, Job had this same question, not how to be a woman. He asked, where does wisdom come from? And God replied to him personally and said, it is the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. And Proverbs reiterates that by saying, for the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So what is it about Deborah's life as a judge, as a woman of wisdom that is reflected in my reality, is reflected in your reality? Where do you have responsibility? Where do you need God's wisdom? I know there's a lot of us right now that are struggling under this economy. Maybe you have been at work all week trying to figure out, craft a new budget, figure out who gets to stay and who has to go. Those are heavy decisions. And you need God's wisdom. Maybe you have a teenager who's making choices that are just breaking your heart. You're at your wit's end. You need God's wisdom. May we be like Deborah, who uses the gifts and the skills that she has, the position that she's been given, and to cry out for wisdom. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, any of you, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God doesn't say, what? Are you in need of more wisdom? I can't believe that. No, he gives without rebuke, without any condemnation or scolding. He gives generously, he gives freely. Ask boldly in faith and then watch how God is going to start to direct your path and give you wisdom and understanding that it exceeds anything you could have figured out on your own. Scripture also tells us that Deborah was leading Israel at the time. So she was a leader of the nation. So think Justin Trudeau, Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel. That was the kind of power that this woman had. She's the only one of the judges that's described in the book of Judges that had both spiritual leadership and civil leadership. When she spoke, people listened. 
Now we can make an assumption that Barak was the head of the army or at least a leader amongst his tribe because he was able to gather 10,000 men to come and fight. So the fact that Deborah could summon Barak the leader of the army and he came, that made her the big boss. The boss of the bosses. Now this is truly remarkable, ladies and gentlemen, because this was at a time when women were not given any place of leadership. But it's evidence of God's calling and his equipping of this woman to be the judge and the leader of his people. Now you might be thinking, oh, I don't have much in common with Deborah. Sorry, that can't connect there. But where have you been given an opportunity to lead? It may not be the nation, but where is it? You see, leadership is influence. Who are you influencing? The question is not if you have influence. We all have influence. The question is, how are you using it? Are you using it to your full potential, like Deborah? As a prophetess, Deborah heard God and spoke on his behalf. As a wife, she ran a household and took care of her family. As a judge, she arbitrated disputes and made legal decisions. She spoke judgments. As a leader, she spoke encouragement and made decisive commands. But Deborah was not just a woman, a woman of words. She was a woman of faith who backed up her words with faith-filled actions. When Barak said, I'm not going unless you go, Deborah said, okay, certainly I will go with you. Now that's faith in action. She believed that God would do what he said he would do. She went with Barak because his faith was weaker at that point. Now we go to the next scene and we've got Barak and, De and Deborah and the 10,000 men up on the mountain. Down in the valley, we've got the, the Canaanite army and up on the mountain is God's army. And it's like they're at the starting gate, ready to go, ready to go. And they're just waiting for Deborah to, you know, shoot the gun, the starting gun, right? But this isn't some arbitrary decision that Deborah makes. She's not, this isn't a power trip that she's on. No, she's waiting intently to hear when God says, go. So they're all in attention. And she, she hears it, go. And she turns to Barak and she says, go. And then he turns to his men and he says, go. And they go down the mountain and take on the army. But you know, there's something else that Deborah says besides just go. Such a powerful statement when she says, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone before you? Wow, what a powerful statement. God has done this. He, she'd already prophesied it. She'd already told Barak this was going to happen. They're on the mountain now ready to go, and she reminds him, this is the day that the Lord has given our enemy into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Do you believe the Lord has gone ahead of us? Do you believe that God is already in tomorrow? He already knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He already knows what's going to happen this afternoon and next week and next year through to eternity. That's the God that we serve. Isn't that an amazing statement of his sovereignty? Now sometimes being a woman of faith means that we need to help, means that we need to help others to see where God is at work and to remember God's faithfulness and his promises. 
And in helping others, we remind ourselves as well that God, this is the day God has gone before us. My mom was a woman of faith. Not only did she love God's word, but she lived it. She lived a life with a passion for God and to love others. You know, a few years ago when I spoke at Mother's Day, I shared that my mom came down, suffered with early onset Alzheimer's. And in her late 50s, early 60s, she had lost the capacity to run a household and was losing her capacity to communicate. But there were still words, there were still phrases that came out of her mouth. And they were usually phrases of worship and praise and testimony of God's faithfulness. Long after she recognized us as a family, or as she could put any kind of sentences together, she could sing word for word hymns like, How Great Thou Art, and Great Is Thy Faithfulness. See, as a woman of faith, it had gone down deep in her, and it came out without the use of her mind. It was such an encouragement to us. And, and the history of who she is has prompted me to be, to pursue being a woman of faith. A woman who loves God and lives that out. And I want my daughter to be a woman of faith. And I want my sons to be men of faith. And I want the young men and women that I teach at college to be men and women of faith. And that's my prayer, my hope for each one of us here today, is that we will take Deborah's example and live full out for God and be men and women of faith. As the writer of Lamentation says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Doesn't that make you want to just break into song? Just sing it. (laughs) Who needs you to be a woman of faith? Who needs you to be a man of faith? Who needs to be reminded that God is with them and that he is always good and his mercies are new every morning? Maybe there's somebody in your family or in your circle of friends. Maybe it's you who received a call from the doctor this week and the news wasn't good. Maybe your family's a mess with fighting and anger. Sin just seems to run rampant. Maybe you've been laid off, or maybe your spouse is waiting for the the ax to fall and their job will be gone. Maybe you've received disappointing news about a new opportunity that you had big hopes for, and now your hopes are dashed. Maybe you have friends or family, co-workers, who today are living in an evacuation center. Who do you need to remind that God is good, that God has not left. He will always be with us, and his mercies are new every morning, and he has gone before us. Let's let Deborah's words resound in our minds and our hearts when she says, this is the day the Lord has given. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Now, Deborah is a strong character in this story, but there is one more woman, actually the woman who is given the honor, and her name is Jael. 
Now, we don't know much about her heritage. The only thing that comes up in her background check is that she's married to a man whose family was a long-lost relative of Moses' brother-in-law. Did you catch that? Did you follow that family tree? (laughs) Don't worry about it if you don't. What's more of pertinent history is that her husband's clan, or extended family, were family friends of Jabin, the king of Canaan. In other words, they were enemies of Israel and ultimately enemies of God. By all accounts, Jael should have been an enemy of Israel and ultimately of God. But we, as so often we see in Scripture, God uses women and men with the most jaded, ungodly backgrounds to fulfill his word. You know, sometimes I think we think we have to, you know, live up to being a Virgin Mary in order to be used by God. But think about the first four women in the genealogy of Christ that's recorded in Matthew chapter 1. We've got Tamar, impregnated by her father-in-law. We have Rahab, a prostitute. We have Ruth, who is a, a widow and a foreigner. And we have Bathsheba, who is the adulterous lover of King David. Like these women, who God used in a mighty way to bring about his plans. So he used Jael. Now, Jael's part in this story is rather gruesome. Not necessarily one I would suggest you read as a bedtime story to your children or grandchildren tonight. And actually, let me give you a piece of advice. Let's say you're going on a road trip this summer, and you decide, I'd really love to stay in a bed and breakfast. So you're looking for bed and breakfast, and all of a sudden you see a sign, and it says, House of JL, special, free milk, drive past. Just saying, probably a good idea, just keep going on that one. Well, obviously, Jael's part in this story is very different from Deborah's. But there were similarities as well. Both were women. Both were married. And the difference was that when God used Jael, she was at home offering hospitality. Just as God used Deborah's gifts of prophesying and wisdom and leading to make a difference in his kingdom, so he used Jael's Uh, gifts as a homemaker to make a difference for his kingdom. Now you're probably all wondering, how are we going to talk about this whole tent peg hammer incident? And is this really how to offer hospitality? Well, I would just say no, right off the top. This is not the way to how to treat your guests. And I would suggest just keep the tent peg and the hammer off the coffee table. Don't even bring it out. But the reality is this is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story because it shows that God will use us wherever we are. As I said earlier, there is no right path. There is no wrong path for us as women to take. You know, sometimes we get caught up in this, you know, should I stay at home? Should I be a homemaker? Should I pursue a career? What should I do? Can I do both? The right path is to be used by God wherever he has placed you whether that is at work, at home, in your community, and here at church. You see, in this story, Judges uses, in in this story in Judges, God uses two women. Deborah, a judge, a prophetess, a leader in her nation to do the work of God. And he also used Jael, a wife and a homemaker who used her home and her gift of hospitality to do the work of God. They were both women who lived on mission. Will you be, are you willing to be a woman? Are you willing to be a man who lives your life on mission? 
Do you really believe that it doesn't matter what job you're in, what career you have, what your family demographics are, as, but God wants to use you? Doesn't matter your age or your stage. You can be a woman, a man who lives on mission. Doesn't matter if you're a Deborah or a JL. God wants you to be a woman who lives on mission. Now, as I've spent time with women here at Center Street in Canada, across, in Calgary, across the world, I believe there's a few things that hold us back as women from living full out for God. The first is we don't see ourselves as God sees us. We have a warped sense of identity that holds us back from being all that God called and created us to be. He wants us to see ourselves and others the way he sees us. He, we're made in his image. <clears throat> we're made in his image. We're his daughters. God's character is stamped upon our lives. He delights in us. Isaiah 43 says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I summoned you by name. You are mine. You are precious and honored in my sight. I love you. You see, our identity comes from who we belong to. That's who I am. I'm a daughter of the king. We also... Amen. We also often have a warped perspective of our our potential. How often have we been guilty of saying, I can't do that. Imagine with me, imagine if we truly, at the depth of our being, believed the promise in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Imagine what could happen. Imagine our potential. What's your step? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your talents? What's your experience? What's your passion? All of these come from God. He gives them to us, and then he asks us to give them back and watch how he's going to multiply them. Watch how he's going to use those things to increase his kingdom. Have us on mission so that the world can hear, so our neighbors can hear, so our family can be loved. Every Sunday when Pastor Henry asks us to stand and put out our hands, closing prayer, and he says, what is God saying to you? And what is he asking you to do about it? Really what we're doing is we're asking God to tell us how he wants to use us as women and men on mission. Think about the potential we have to change our families. Brothers, sisters, parents, nieces, nephews, spouses, children, grandchildren, that whole family. Who do we need to be praying for? Who needs to hear about Jesus? Who needs to know that they're loved no matter what they've done? Who can we come alongside and disciple and encourage? We have the potential to change our neighborhoods. We can invite people in for coffee. How many people here know how to make coffee? Okay, hands down. How many of you own a Keurig machine? Just saying, you really don't know how to make coffee. You just know how to put in a K K cup and push a button. But that's okay. And if you don't know how to to make coffee or don't have a K cup, go to Tim's. Right? Now, how many of you like to bake cookies? Uh, the first service had more of you. How about this? How many of you couldn't bake a cookie if your life depended upon it? That's more like it. Okay, so I've got a tip for you because Calgary has some really good bakeries. 
You ready for this? It's a list. It's easy to remember. They either start with C's or S's. Costco, Co-op, Safeway, Sobeys, and Superstore. <laughs> this is not about having the perfect house. This is not about being the best baker or to have the fanciest table, being a Martha Stewart. This is about having a hospitable heart. You might say, oh, wait a minute, my house is too much of a mess. So clean it. <laughs> Push the toys to the side. Get the papers off the table. And invite your neighbor in for a cup of coffee and a cookie from co-op. <laughs> Imagine what the potential is if we loved our neighbors, loved our friends one at a time. Imagine the impact that would have on our city, on our world. We have the potential to change our workplaces. Think of the people that you interact at your workplace. It doesn't matter whether you are at the bottom of the ladder or the CEO, you have the potential to make a significant difference in the lives of your coworkers and the environment of your workplace. Now you might say, okay, wait a minute, though, Rosemary, I cannot talk about Jesus at work. Okay. Love them. Be kind to people. Exude joy. Allow the fruit of the Spirit to flow out of you. And people are going to start to ask, what's different about that person? You know, maybe it all will take as you get to work tomorrow morning, people say, hey, how was your weekend? And instead of replying with fine, you say, wow, we had a really great service this week at church. That could be the beginning of a conversation of faith with your coworker. You see, this isn't about doing more. None of us need more things on our calendars. Few of us need more things to do. This is about being who you are in the midst of where you are. Who you are in the midst of where you are. It's about letting God work in you and through you wherever he has you. You know, in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents encourages us to use our talents, use our property, use our opportunities that God has, has given us. And I know you're like me. I know that when we get to heaven, we want to hear, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You took the potential I gave you and you made a difference. You made a difference for me. Let's go hard. Let's become all that God has created us to be. You know, sometimes I think we think that our life circumstances don't afford us to live on mission. You say, ah, I'm too old. Okay, if you've got an old person sitting beside you, check to make sure they're breathing right now. And if they're breathing, then they're not too old. We will never be too old. Then you hear, oh, wait a minute, I'm too young. No, actually, you're never too young to be used by God. Well, I'm not married. Do you think that matters to God? Really? Is he waiting for you to find that spouse to present you with opportunities to live for him? Uh-uh. In fact, Scripture actually esteems the increased opportunities that you have because you don't have divided time and energy that a family takes. Live full out for God, whatever your circumstances are. Nervous thinking, oh, okay, no, actually, I'll wait until my kids are gone. Once my kids are, are gone, I'm an empty nest, 
I'll, I'll live on mission. When my son Graham was in high school, he was part of the rugby team. And he would often invite some of his rugby uh, team friends over for nachos or pizza after the game. I'm just saying they eat a lot of food, those rugby players. <laughs> a lot of food. But you know what? If all it took was for me to have some frozen pizzas and some cold Coke in the fridge, for those rugby players to come and know that they felt welcome in our home, that they were accepted in love, it was worth every penny, it was worth every sticky kitchen floor that I had to clean up afterwards. Help your kids catch the vision to become all that you were created to be. Become a family on mission. You know, whatever your reality is, you're just right. You're perfect to do what God has called you to right now, being who you are, where you are. We've looked at the story of Deborah and Jael, two women that God powerfully used to make a difference for his kingdom. Different lives, but both were willing to be used by God to be all that he had created them to be and all that he had equipped them at that time to be. But women living on mission is not limited to just the biblical characters. Our church is full of women and men living on mission. And to wrap up our time today, I want to just quickly introduce you to five women from Center Street, women who live on mission. Let me introduce, this is Angie Redekop. I first met Angie when she was a partner at Canada's largest law firm with an office downtown Calgary. She called me because she wanted to get connected to Professional Women's Network, to live out her faith at work. She was one of our first leaders to have a Bible study in her boardroom at noon. Angie's now an associate professor at, at Ambrose University. But as a lawyer, as a professor, an advocate for justice, and a mom, Angie's a woman who lives out her God-given potential and is a woman on mission. Let me introduce to you Julia Stickle. Julia is a stay-at-home mom with three preschool kids. For Julia, being a woman on mission looks like hosting backyard playtimes with neighbors and serving hot dogs. It's helping a neighbor who's learning English to improve her glam grammar and discipling younger women and mentoring new moms. Meet Dorothy, Dorothy Anderson. I love Dorothy. Dorothy hasn't, doesn't have a husband or children but God has given her a whole bunch of nieces and nephews to love. Just this week, Dorothy's family suffered a tragedy, and she stepped in to support her brother's family with love and practical ways of service after her nephew's accidental death. Meet Danielle, a beautiful young woman who just finished university. This week started a summer internship job. You know, as she introduced herself to her new co-workers on that first morning, she just happened to slip in that she'd spent a year at Bible school. Well, in the next two days of work, she had two significant conversations with two different co-workers about faith and God based on the fact that she had said, I went to Bible school. You see, being a, a woman on mission is something all of us can do. Being a man, being a man on mission is something all men can do.
Let me introduce to you Chris Gable. Chris is a single mom raising three kids. And she describes her life as plodding, simply putting one foot ahead of the other. But in that, watching for opportunities for how God wants to use her. She prays for her kids. She lives a life of forgiveness and is living full out for God. In her words, step into each day with expectation and mostly hope. That's what being a woman on mission is all about. Now, none of these women would call themselves superheroes of the faith, but I think they are heroes. Why? Because God is using them. In verse 23 of our of Judges chapter 4, it says, on that day, this is at the very end, on that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, and he was destroyed. All glory goes to God. Deborah and Jael don't get the glory. These women that I've just showed you, they don't get the glory. God gets the glory for all the great things he has done. And are we willing to live a life on mission, not because we get to pat ourselves on the back at the end of the day. We live a life on mission because God is worthy of our life and our praise and all glory. Amen? When we boil this down to the simplest, what we have is women and men, daughters and sons of God, co-heirs to the kingdom. And you know what that means? On, we are to be on mission on this earth to bring God, bring glory to God by making disciples. We're on mission to bring glory to God by making disciples. And that's not a man's job and it's not a woman's job. It's everyone's job as followers of Christ. And we need each other to accomplish this task. You know, I was struck this week as I was watching the news about Fort McMurray. Never once did I hear a comment of, well, that's a woman's job. Or or only a man can do that. No. No, not at all. There was a crisis, and everyone has banded together to make a difference. Let's do that in our world. Let's do that in our families and in our workplaces and in our communities and in our church. Let's have men and women working together, living like Deborah and living like JL, living on mission and making a difference. Now I have a really quick message for the men that are here. I ask you to consider the women in your life, the moms, the mother-in-laws, the sisters, your wife, your daughters, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, maybe the women in your small group. What can you do to help them become all that God created them to be? Will you be a Lapidoth? Like the husband of Deborah, will you encourage and support helping these women become all that God created them to be? How could you encourage your mom or your sister to live out their full potential? How could you support with your time your wife so that she can reach her full potential? 
You see, what I'm describing here is really the principle that the Apostle Paul spoke of in Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. So as we honor women today, if God calls you to be a Deborah, a leader amongst your people, whatever your people might be, maybe your people are the people downtown in your office. Maybe they're the people at the hospital as you're a healthcare worker. Maybe you go to work every day in a factory or you're in the airline industry or you're tourism or you're a teacher or you clean somebody else's bathrooms. It doesn't matter. But whoever your people are, will you say yes to the mission that God has given you? If God calls you to be a JL, a woman of courage in her home and community, will, say, will you say yes to the mission when God says, go? Will you go? Knowing that God has gone ahead of you. Please stand with me as we go into closing prayer. I would encourage you to do, as has become our, our um, pattern here at Center Street, just open your hands as a symbol of submission to God, openness to His Spirit, and ask Him, what are you saying to me? What do you want me to do about it? Let's just take a minute. Lord, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful for your forgiveness and your redemption. Lord, thank you for your son. It's death and resurrection. And how that has given us a new identity. Lord, you've called us. You've equipped us. And you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. Lord, may we hold to the truth that you are with us this day and that you have gone before us in whatever this week brings. May we sense your presence with us and your astounding love and grace in our lives. Lord, I pray for the men and women in this room, those that are watching online or different centers, Father, May we know your Father's love in a new way today. May we sense your smile of approval. And may we respond with an eager and willing heart. Grant us a spirit, to a willing spirit to sustain us, I pray, to do what you have called us to do, to be all that you've made us to be. And Lord, we will be very quick and we will be very careful to give you all praise and glory. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for being a God who loves us, who sustains us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. 
For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. 